0: You're listening to Our Prophet, a collaboration between Sahlain and al hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhalayn.org support. The other point which I wanted to briefly address, which is even more sensitive, for the men they actually had the right to sleep with that woman who was taken as a captive. And this was an incentive for them. So even if they were from their enemies, but given that incentive, this actually encouraged them to take them. Now, I know this is a very, very sensitive topic, but how, do we, how can we try to understand this based on 7th century Arabia? A woman is taken from her village. The men have been killed. She's now taken to the, for example, Medina community, to that Muslim community. Then a man buys her. She goes into the house of the man and the man can sleep with her according to the Qur'an, according to Islamic law, against even her wishes. How do you rationalize something like that? And this is something that you find today more and more in the West. They're attacking the Qur'an for this. So how can we try to make sense of why this happened in that society? Let me mention a few points here. First of all, the way sometimes they give you the picture like with Safiya, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, sometimes you see those cartoon clips. You know, they show her being taken from the battle. Her husband was killed an hour ago. The next hour she's in the tent with the Prophet. That's, that's, that, that's, that's unrealistic. That's not something that happened. Remember, a woman who's taken as a captive and if she was previously married, she has to go through the waiting period. You can't just uh, take her and a man sleeps with her the next day. No. Just like a divorce. When a woman get, you know, goes through a divorce, she has to have a waiting period before she can marry the, another man. Same thing with the slaves. They had to go through a waiting period. So that's the first point to clarify. Many, many non-Muslims, they don't understand this point. They think, oh, she, she just came from battle and someone. No, it's not like that. You actually have to wait the waiting period. So that's the first point. The second point. For those women who were enslaved, remember the Prophet did not bring slavery. The Prophet lived in a world which was based on slavery. Slavery pre-existed Islam many centuries and millennia. The Prophet wanted the most practical way to give rights to these people and to give them their liberty. If the Prophet would have abolished slavery from day one, what do you think would have happened to those tens of thousands of slaves? Let's say the Prophet in Medina says, slavery is not allowed. All of you free them immediately. What would have happened? Those slaves would have all died and starved. Because many of those slaves were illiterate. They didn't have any jobs. All they did, they worked for their masters. You suddenly kick them out of the house. Hey, go fend for yourself. He he can't function. He's not prepared to function and support a family. Because all his life, he's lived with masters, with his masters. So this was not a practical way, you needed time, you needed a gradual system that would give them liberty, then you educate them, you teach them and that's what for example Imam Zain al-Abidin did, he would buy thousands of slaves, educate them, empower them, teach them, then he would free them, that's something that a slave will appreciate if you do that for him, but if you take a slave from his master and throw him in the street, especially in the absence of a welfare state, well, what would have happened to them? They would have perished. The Prophet would not do that to them. This was unfair. So the Prophet regulated the system in order to give them gradual liberty. Now when it comes to the women, those women who were slaves, who came from slaves, from you know, families who were slaves, what is the most effective way, and please pay attention to this very sensitive point, the fastest way, the most effective way to grant her her liberty because the prophet wanted liberty for everyone. There were women who were slaves. How do you give her liberty the fastest way and the most effective way and the most practical way? The prophet could have said, hey, ban! No man can have a slave and that's fine. Okay, the man will say, fine, leave my house. And because she was a slave, because she was a slave, society looked down on her that backward society would fuse slaves like animals, third, fourth class citizens, not even second class. So the Prophet would have said all of those women, okay, you're free. What would have happened to them? They would have either starved, or they would have resorted to prostitution to keep themselves alive. That was not practical. You don't just have all these women go in the street. So the Prophet, within the religion of Islam, comes up with an effective gradual system that takes them to liberty. What is that? There's two ways. Either you ask the masters to marry them. Marry them and let them be your wives and they'll be respectful, dignified people. But let's be realistic. If the prophet would have said that to the men, marry these slaves, would they have done that? No. In Arabian society, a free master is not going to marry his his slave girl. He's not going to do that. This is uh, something which is... Um, negative for him in society, brings him negative reputation. This is not something that they would have done. Ideally, if they would have done that, that would have been good, but they wouldn't do that. So the Prophet knew that this was not practical. He can issue a command like that. Who's going to accept? Who's going to implement it? 5%? What about the 90%? They're not going to implement it. So you needed another way. And this was the other way. The religion of Islam, by allowing the master to sleep with his slave girl, realized that eventually, you know, especially back then, they were, you know, contraceptives, she would get pregnant. Islam wanted her to get pregnant. Why? The, the minute in Arabian society, the minute the slave girl becomes pregnant, now the master sees her as the one who's carrying her child, his child. He's going to respect her. He's not going to harass her. He won't beat her because now... Is waiting for that child. She's not technically his wife, but she's kind of like his wife. She's on her way to freedom. She now has respect. That's why slave girls in Arabian society, in fact, they wished that their husband would have a ch- their masters would have a child from them, because that would make them special. She's no longer just a slave. No, I'm carrying the child of a free man. I'm on my way to freedom and according to Islamic law, any slave girl who's pregnant and has a child and the master dies, what happens to her? Free. She's automatically emancipated. She's freed according to Islamic law. Okay, just real quick, So, uh, is it a bastard child? No, oh, so no it's not. Because in Islam, a legitimate child is either through marriage or through a slave. Oh. By owning the slave, if one legally, if a Muslim man legally owns a slave, their child is their full, full child. Oh, okay. The child is free and the child has the full rights. It's just like having a child from a wife. Oh, okay. So, yes, the Quran makes it very clear that through these ways, uh, the child is legitimate and it's not a bastard child. No. Yes, brother. Uh, you mentioned that a free person and a slave person is
1: born
0: free. Is that.? Uh, yes. Yes, this is uh, from Islamic law that all have accepted. Yeah, it's from established hadith. So remember that when the master has the child from the slave girl, first of all, the child itself is what? Free. Because if one of your parents are free, then you're free. Secondly, when the master dies, what happens to the slave girl? The mother of that free child, she automatically becomes emancipated. So now society, when they look at a woman like that, they now have respect for her. They don't treat her like a slave. No, you have a free child. You, now we treat you just like any normal woman. In fact, that was a great way to protect her rights. Had the Prophet eliminated this, they would have suffered. What yes. What if the master is uh, already married? Even if he's married, yes. He was allowed to take slave girls. Okay. Yes. But what if he dies? So the woman, the, his wife inherits his uh, tent, let's say and his and everything, what if she... Um, Kicks out the slave girl? Yeah, doesn't want to well die. remember when he has a child, his child inherits. So according to Islam he's got a share. What if he's got other kids? There's they all get a share. Well see in Arabian, in Arabian society, if a man was having multiple slaves and women, he was rich then because if you were poor... And you didn't have any property then you couldn't afford that life. So obviously those men they did have money, so even if they had multiple children, each one would get a good share of the inheritance. So through her son she had she actually had a good share. Through her daughter she has a share. (laughs) The daughter gets less of a share but in the end she does have a share. So she can't just be kicked out like that, no she has a share. So either she has a son or a daughter She's on her way to emancipation and she has a right from his inheritance through, through those children and that was the most effective way, the fastest way to emancipation and when you put them all together, you know we find that Islam really gave them many many ways to achieve liberty and that was the fastest most effective way. That's why in that time, given the world and how many slaves there were, really there weren't many of those slaves who would stay as slaves. Eventually they would be either through marriage, either through what you mentioned, you know, they would uh, teach them how to read and write, they would be emancipated. There were many ways that the religion of Islam um, really pretty much compelled society to free them. So sometimes from the outside you might hear about these laws and they're very troubling but you have to look at the historical perspective. Now given what I said, what are some objections that you have? Especially the sisters, let's hear your objections. Remember I said it's a discussion so we'd like to hear, yes? See basically a valid that's a valid observation. We mentioned the reasons why they're taken from that village, it wasn't just rape, remember it was starvation and death because the men in Arabia when you live in a village, remember this is a nomadic society, there's no state, if the men of that village die, you are might as well dead, you and your children, who's gonna take care of you? Other tribes? Other tribes would raid you and take any little money that you even have. So they faced starvation, they faced death, they faced prostitution, sometimes you know the only way to make some money they would be forced into prostitution or they would be just repeatedly raped by uh, those tribes. This was the other alternative, right? With this alternative first of all they're brought to a healthy society, a society that the Prophet is building that fears God. The Prophet's on top of them, remember every day he's teaching them, he's warning them, and uh, it was a healthy society, you know, in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ, it was a healthy society. So we could, you know, depend on a healthy society that it will take care of them. So they brought them to a healthy society, teaching them proper Islamic beliefs, the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Day of Judgment. And that's, that's very important. Taking them from that corrupt idolatry into a monotheistic society, that in itself was a plus for them. You know, that was a way to deliver faith to them. And most of them, by the way, the slaves, they had better faith sometimes than their masters. They would really appreciate the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly, they would be clothed, they would be fed. Number three, in that society, this second scenario was not considered rape. If she's left in that village and tribes are coming and raiding her, and in a disgraceful way she would be raped, that was rape. But now that she came and a master took her in his care, she technically became like his wife. So you can call it maybe like an arranged marriage but not rape. In that society this was not rape, no one considered it rape. Because now that she had a master who was taking care of her, she was on her way to freedom. In fact, in fact being owned by that master and having a child from him was something she wanted. This was something she would not have an objection to, why? Was she given the option to be owned the first time? She was not given the option to be owned, no. When, when that village went to war with the Muslims and the Muslims captured them, um, there was two options, the Muslims by of course the guidance of the Prophet he could just free them if he saw that they could be taken care of or sometimes they would be taken as, as slaves. So if they were taken as slaves, it was not by their permission, of course, it was not by consent. But now that they came into that society, and initially they were owned by the master. Okay, there was no rape. She's just a slave. In fact, in fact, 99% of those slave girls, they would go to the master and they would tell him, I want a child. Why do you want a child? Because when she becomes a child, her child will get her freedom in the future, number one. Number two, the minute she's pregnant and she has a child, she's now viewed not as just a slave girl, she's now a respectful woman who has rights in that society, so those women, it it wasn't even rape, they would actually ask the masters to have children from them because now this was a very easy way for them to get out of slavery, to be viewed with dignity in society because then if they have a child they will no longer be considered as a slave girl. So if you look at most cases, maybe the initial part of it of being enslaved was not from their consent, but once they were owned by someone, oftentimes they did want to have a child and so they were okay with sleeping with the master. So if you look at these laws of that time, the society of that time, in no way was it considered rape. Now remember we can't always apply our laws to the entire history of humankind. You know one thing about Westerners, they're very arrogant, they get together, they come up with a law, oh whoever doesn't follow that law, that's it. Let's say, let me give you an example, over here, if you have a 19 year old, okay, who let's say marries or sleeps with a 17 year old, what does the law state? That's a type of rape, right? Okay let's say, let's say in France the people got together and they say look, You know the age 18 didn't come from heaven, you people decided it, we'd like to designate age 16, in our society we feel the cutoff point is 16, so a 17 year old can't sleep with a 15 year old, that is not allowed but a 19 year old can't sleep with a 17 year old, let's say France comes up with that law, what would you say about that law? You call this this is mass rape in in France? No they have their own law but we the West, what we're doing in the West, we're taking our literal laws and we want to implement it across the universe. You guys came up with your laws, fine, you respect your own laws, but you can't come and judge others who may have had different laws. For, insta- for example, the age of marriage, we talked about that when we talked about the age of the Prophet ﷺ like to Aisha, we said that yes, Islam does recognize early marriage, right? When a girl is mature and she goes through physical maturity, it could be at 12, 13, she can get married. Today, you look at it, oh, this is child rape. Look at the circumstances of the time. Europe was also marrying at that age. Remember, girls had a, people had a very short lifespan. Sometimes the average lifespan would be 30 to 40 to 50 years. Sometimes in Europe, the lifespan was 33 years. Yes, go to England, you know, some uh, 800 years ago. The life expectancy of an average person was 33 years. If you made it to 34, you're lucky. The average was 33. Okay, now if you tell a lady you can start getting married at age 18. And back then, most of the babies would die through birth. You know, it's not like they had health care and hospitals. A lot of them would die. You know, I've, I personally know families from like, uh, you know, seven, eight decades ago in Karbala, I have a distant relative, Uh, he's the second cousin of my grandfather, he's the only surviving child of 16, his mom gave birth to 16 kids, they died either at birth or a few days, a few months later, he was the only one who survived. Okay, if you tell a woman you can get married at 18 and you're going to live 33 and most of your kids are going to die, that means hey you're not going to have children, is this just? See the West forgets this history. We, today we look at life expectancy that's 70, 80 years old and that's really unfair. So in those eras a woman would have to marry at age 12, 13, 14 to ensure that she has children, at least one, two, three children, otherwise that's it. You're telling her you don't have a chance at, at having children. So. But today we come up and we want to impose our laws on history, oh Islam is this religion, what are you talking about? You have to look at the historical context, you have to look at life expectancy, how people lived, this is all very important. So today we can come and easily judge and say hey that's a type of rape you know with the slaves, but look at the context of that society, in fact you will find that those slave girls they wanted to have children, in fact they would beg the master Give me rights by giving me a child, then I'll be special, then people will not consider me slaves anymore, then I'll be almost like a free woman. So given that, in that times you really cannot call it rape. It's you have to kind of understand, you know, look at the lens of that society in order to judge something like that. So does this kind of make sense to you or you're still firm about it? No, I get what you're But remember whenever you establish a system you have to look at the overall, right? When we when we put a traffic light, when the city puts a traffic light, right? Red means that's it you can't pass. 1% of people could be in an emergency. Why stop them from crossing the light especially if it's 2 a.m. and there's nobody on the street and they have an emergency they have to go to the hospital but if you cross that light you can you get still ticketed? Yes, But you could say I'm that 1% that, see when you put a law you have to look at the overall cases in society. So whenever a a, a just institution puts laws, you don't look at that 1% exception, you have to put a law that's practical, that works, that liberates most people and this was the only way. Yes, you might have that 1% who she was not okay with this, but remember there's no way for you to fix that, what are you going to do? How do you fix that case? Give me a better alternative. So this system was a system that worked um, for most of the people, that protected the rights of almost everyone, yes you might have a few exceptions here and there, but you know it's sometimes you just have to see what's uh, better for everyone, that's a healthy system. A healthy system is not one that can guarantee that every human being won't suffer. Today you have a lot of people who suffer in society. A healthy system is one that makes sense, that ensures the rights of most people are protected in society. You might have an exception here and there, you know uh, when it comes to children for example, don't parents here have the discretion to discipline their children? I, I don't mean physical beating but to discipline them, wake them up, take them to school, teach them, right? Don't you think there are some parents who take advantage of that and they would maybe they psychologically damage their children and abuse them? Don't they? How do you stop that? You can't, you can't stop that, what are you gonna do? How do you stop parents from uh, psychologically abusing their children? You can't do anything about that, you put laws obviously but there are some cases that you just can't control. So the Prophet can't control that one percent, how is he gonna control it? What is he gonna do? there wasn't any better alternative and remember the religion of Islam is a practical religion, it's not a religion that gives you laws on the clouds and then it cannot be implemented, no, it's a religion that gives you practical laws that can be implemented in society,